is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Today, welcome to Boarding Pass 128, operating on May 9th, 2022. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, you just got home from something you haven't done in years, quite literally. It starts with B and rhymes with business. <laughs> Tell us about it. Yes. You know, I just got home from a business trip after two years, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably going on business trips. We have one of our listeners, Aaron, who's coming out here on a business trip after two years. Doug, this is going on all over the place. Not just me, but I was glad to be part of it. And I I want to talk about the business trip in just a second, but can you indulge me for a minute for my pilot memoir? Yeah, I, I, I was going <laughs> to cover that after this, but yes, let's talk about it. Yeah, no, I... So I'm, I'm literally, I'm fresh from this, uh, my third flight, which was my longest flight. It was 1.2 hours. It was great. It was cloudy. You know, when you're a private pilot student, you only fly in VFR, which is visual flight rules. And today, before I, when I checked the weather, it said MVFR. So I'm like, what is that? So it's marginal. Marginal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's clouds, but they're high enough that it's safe for someone like me who's not supposed to be in the clouds. To, to still be out there because we're under the clouds. You know, I told you the flight and school instructor, Terry, he said I could use his name. <laughs> he's, such a perf- he's such a perfectionist. I mean, to the point of how we take the cover off the plane it has to be folded just right. So I have all these things swirling around, you know, the cover, I got to fold that right. And then I have to know all these speeds and all these weather, all this weather, all the instruments is like, it's a jumble of stuff. And then he's telling me, no, no, I don't want you to focus on all those things. I want you to focus on just being relaxed and getting a feel for a plane, for the plane. Now I'm like, okay, so this is a perfectionist. Even though he's telling me that, I'm still going to be looking at the instruments because I know he's going to ask me about that anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long story short, it was a great flight. It was smooth. It was, it was as smooth as a 777, Doug, flying over Maryland uh, near Annapolis because there were hardly any winds and I let go of the controls and the plane was just so stable with with just a little trim. Mm-hmm. And we did some turns. We did 30 degree turns, 45 degree turns. I did it to the point where, you know, you could let go and it would hold that turn yeah. with the trim. That's good. Did you get landings? You personally? I did. I did. And on landing. So this is the thing. So he just wanted me to memorize all the stuff. But I realized we were getting kind of slow on approach. We were like at 62 and dropping. And I remembered we were supposed to be at 63. So without him saying anything, I increased the speed. But it was a little too much, so I had to bring it back. But then we, when we landed, he said, okay, I see some kind of instinctual response on your end. So it seemed like, you know, you kind of knew what you were doing because you didn't wait for me to tell you to increase speed a little bit. Yeah. And I, I flat out told him, Doug, I said, I, I said, Terry, if something were to happen to you, I would be able to land this plane. Honestly, I would be able to land the plane. The radios contacting people, I don't know. I'm, I will look around. I'll do a U-turn, <laughs> and I will land that plane. And he's like, okay, well, just know that you don't have to know that. It's like, I, I know, but most of pilot training, as I don't have to tell you, Doug, is staying alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Very right? much so. <laughs> 
So from day one, I knew the basics so that if something would happen, I, I could bring that plane in for a landing. I'm three hours in. I pro- The average for a flight student in the U.S. is about 60 to 65 hours. It's a long way to go, but I'm really excited. It was a beautiful flight. It was my favorite flight so far. And it just keeps getting better and better because not that you're relaxed, but you can actually have a moment to take it all in without freaking out as much. Yeah, we, you know, we say your SA bubble, your situational awareness bubble is growing, meaning you, your first flight, it probably, you probably thought you were looking through a straw. And then yeah. your aperture is getting bigger and bigger to the point where in a couple of flights, you'll be able to glance at the instruments, glance outside, look at the windsock, know what's going on, know where you're at, and just it'll, it'll continue to build and grow as you go, which yeah. is awesome. And we had we had some excitement. We had some traffic. Washington Center was telling us, hey, you have some traffic at 12 o'clock, Cherokee. It's like, oh, my goodness, because I'm always looking for a Southwest 737 screaming mm-hmm. in out of nowhere, you know, on an approach to Baltimore. But I never see that. But we did see this tiny little Cherokee plane We're like, oh, we see him. And then he saw us. So it was, it was fun. All right. Back to the business trip. Before you, you indulge us about the business trip, I, I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. Is this a business trip? Objectively, mm-hmm. looking at this objectively, is this a business trip or or the meeting that you went to? Is this something that objectively you could have done on Zoom? We have done it on Zoom or Microsoft Teams, which is our version of two for two years. Okay. We have. You have and you've succeeded. You have and, and you've succeeded. But yet We've checked that box. your company... <laughs> Your company has decided it is more important to remove seats from inventory and positive space everyone together to do this meeting. What And the airplanes are full, yeah. Drew. We've talked about this. The airplanes are at 100% capacity, and the airline decided to remove a seat that a passenger could buy to send you and your coworkers and teammates to a room together to do yeah, this. What, an investment, what, right? what kind of signal... What kind of signal is that sending that that they have found it so important to get you all together in the same room? I, I mean, that is case in point for what we have been saying for the last 12 to 18 months about business travel returning. You went to something that could have been done on Zoom, right. that the company could have sold those seats, yeah. and they decided, no, let's bring let's round the wagons, bring everyone together. Yeah, and what have we been talking about since the time this happened, that you cannot take... You, you, you really can't, it's not tangible. The that well, no, it is tangible. And I'll, I'll talk about it. The value of meeting in person, how much efficiency you get from that and how much productivity you get from that meeting in person. It's a whole nother, it, it, it's a much better meeting and it's much more productive. And if you're looking at it with your spreadsheet, because it does cost a lot of money to ship all of us to Chicago and put us up in very expensive hotel rooms in downtown and provide us meals, if you did a cost analysis of some of the things we talked about and that ended up actually saving money or making money, it way outweighs the cost of sending us to Chicago, you know, for a a day. Now I'm going to go through some things. I mean, stop me along the way, but this is just a few of the things I remember. One more question before I get there. And sorry if you were going to talk about this already after either before or after the meeting, did you network? Did you go for drinks? Did you go for dinner? Did, did you do something with the other people who were at the meeting? Before and after. Before and after. Okay. How many Zoom meetings that you were in over the last two years, did you tell someone, hey, I'm going to set up a, a separate room. <laughs> and after this, after this big meeting is done, 
go grab a, a glass of wine and we're going to have oh, a, a yeah. separate chat room for an hour. Oh. How, how many, how many of your zoom meetings in the Zero. last two years did you do yeah. that? You know, everyone case in point, case in point, right. continue, continue no, to indulge everyone, us. About I mean, even trip. we talk about a virtual happy hour with our friends. It has never happened. <laughs> it's just not the same. <laughs> this was uh, hosted by network ops. So they're bringing in all ops people. And we have guest speakers from your department, from flight ops, from in-flight, from legal that come in and talk to us. You know, it was great just to have that personal interaction. The network ops uh, managing director, he's, he started off with, you know, people ask me what <laughs> what keeps me keeps me up at night was his first question. So we're waiting. And he's like, the answer is everything. <laughs> <laughs> so just him saying that, you know, it makes me want to make his life easier. Right. Because I don't want him up all night. I want him to be relaxed that my station is covered. And I'm sure everyone in the rooms thought that, too, because we really like this guy. <laughs> so just, yeah. you know, just that we're doing it for him, but we're doing it for the company, too. Right. So it's that personal interaction. Your department had uh, a representative, a pilot. I won't say the name. Really nice guy. He, he came last year or a couple of years ago when it was in person. And you know what he said, Doug? You know, we talk about net promoter score. All companies talk about net promoter score. These are This is a gauge of how many people will promote your company. And he was saying the announcement that, announcements that you guys make to the customers on board is huge. It's almost as much as the flight attendant interaction on board. It's mm -hmm. a lot more than the gate agents or whatever we can do at the airport is that pilot communication. And he was saying how we in at, in the station operations, how we can help. So when you land and you're waiting for the gate, the pilot makes an announcement and people are like, oh, we got to make 20 minutes for the gate. The score goes down. But the more information that the station can provide you, your gate's occupied. We have a connecting crew that's boarding right now. They just need about 15 minutes to do their paperwork. The plane's all boarded. We're ready to push. So we expect 15 minutes. The pilots can relay that amount of detail to the customer and the customer feels a lot better because you're not waiting for this vague, you know, delay that's mysterious and you feel like you're in the cold. You know what's yeah. going on and your captain is your pilots are communicating with you. That raises the score. Well, I can tell you that as the flight deck crew, if you are communicating that to us, we are going to bother you less than we would if we show up and the gate is, is occupied and ops just says, yeah, your gate's occupied. And that's it. They, they leave right. hanging. Uh -huh. Five minutes later, we still see things and people around the airplane. And we're like, right. okay, what, really what's going on? Can, can you give us just a little bit more information? Yeah. Not, not just relate to the passengers, but we also have connecting flights that mm -hmm. we have to make. We have a lot of stuff going on that we need to figure out. Yeah. We're also working with ramp with air traffic control because they're calling us saying, how long is it going to be? We need you to move or yes, you can sit there. So it's not just to the passengers. It's to everyone within the chain. More communication is always better. Well, yeah. So you know exactly what's going on. So you feel like you're protected, like, like the station is telling you what's going on. And you may not tell the customer exactly what we told you. But you'll now you'll probably instead of saying, yeah, we're going to have to wait for a gate. We're not sure what's going on. You can say, hey, we're waiting for a gate. Station operations tells us that it'll be uh, it'll be vacant soon and uh, we'll be moving shortly. So just your communication will be more positive to the customers than if you didn't. You know, so you'll pay it forward. So just little things like that. We had the legal department come in and talk to us about long taxi times. You know, all this stuff that I, all this stuff I'm going to take back to the station 
not just a slide, but relaying to them what someone actually told us, right? A pilot or someone from the legal department. So from the legal department, you're going to be flying a 777. If you are on that 777 for over three hours and we don't bring you back to a gate so the customers can get egress, that could be over $12 million if we if it's over three wow. hours. And, you know, they sh- showed a depiction of that. And they also said, you know, it's important for us to just communicate. You know, that seemed to be the that seemed to be the recurring theme, communication. So if we communicate why we couldn't bring you back to the gate, maybe there was lightning, maybe there was an ATC situation, we we can get out of that fine because we were doing everything we could. And then you would have to write a statement saying that there was lightning and it wasn't safe to come back to the gate. Or something like that, because there could be mm-hmm. circumstances that's beyond our control. One more thing. So this meeting was uh, it was to talk about operational issues, right? So I also have a, the training collateral for my department. And two of the people that I'm planning a meeting with next week to go over training plans for the hubs, we were going to have we are going to have a, um, a web meeting, a Zoom meeting, but they were there for this meeting. So we had an impromptu 30 minutes with each other and we got so much done. And that wasn't even expected. And it wasn't a separate. It wasn't a separate breakout room on video teleconference. No, I, I, I hate to pat ourselves on the back, Drew, but we have been saying this, and I yeah. don't take this the wrong way. But I was more excited to hear about your business trip than I was about your third flight, <laughs> <laughs> just because it it impacts us as an industry so so much more. Not yeah. to say that your third flight wasn't exciting. I'm I'm very excited for you about that. Right. But a few last comments. So we talked about how that helps our company in terms of our operation, eventually financially, right? But the company is also putting us up in hotel rooms, which costs a lot of money and buying us food and the transportation and all that helps the economy. That helps the mm-hmm. Chicago economy, which is great, you know? Yeah. So there's a, a it's a win, win, win for everyone. Yeah. All right, that's well, this, <laughs> this is actually a really good transition because speaking of business travel bouncing back, something else that has been happening recently, not getting a lot of attention in the media, is service resumptions and more importantly, improvements. Delta recently reintroduced hot meals, American resumed alcohol sales, and United joined Alaska and Delta in offering free in-flight messaging. Well, we want to focus our opening topic on that last thing you mentioned, that free in-flight messaging. In-flight Wi-Fi was initially developed by Boeing in 2000, but it failed to gain traction until around 2003 when British Airways and Lufthansa installed it on their 747s. Doug, it was still slow. It was expensive to connect. Think back to the days of seatback phones. It was more of a novelty and very sparsely installed. Passengers had a 1 in 10 chance of being on a Wi-Fi equipped flight and had no way of knowing ahead of time. Wi-Fi didn't even make its experience an appearance on planes in the U.S. until 2008, when American, Delta, and Virgin began installing it on a handful of their planes. A 2009 survey from Virgin found that the majority said Wi-Fi availability would influence their choice of airline. That's important. A VP of an airline internet provider said in 2010, quote, travelers want to do in the air what they've become accustomed to do at any Starbucks. Yeah, Drew, and Wi-Fi continued to expand, and by the end of the 2010s, it was equipped on most commercial airplanes in the U.S. and thousands more around the world. But it still cost upwards of $20 on longer flights for day passes. Monthly passes cost $50 or more, and annual passes were hundreds of dollars. Delta tested free Wi-Fi on a handful of flights in 2019 to very high customer satisfaction, but the airline said that bandwidth remained a key issue. Then in early 2020, the airline industry descended into the COVID dark ages, which we lived through, 
all of us lived through, even those of you listening. Services were slashed, costs were cut, and flying itself became a novelty like it was the year 1930. Now that airlines are enjoying a travel renaissance, the likes of which we've never seen before, in-flight Wi-Fi is once again at the front of airline executives' minds. In December, United simplified its Wi-Fi costs to $8 per flight for Mileage Plus members and $10 for non-members. Previously, it might have cost as much as $40 for a flight pass. I looked this up, Drew. Newark to San Francisco, which is a mm-hmm. premium transcon route, it was yeah. upwards of it was $41 for just that flight. It didn't matter what class of service you were in. This wow. move matched Southwest, which began offering $8 day passes in the last year as well. Delta also introduced $5 Wi-Fi in some flights in December. Mm-hmm. In early April, Alaska followed suit, also lowering the cost to a flat rate of $8 per flight. It also said the lower price comes with speeds of up to 20 times faster than the old system. So it's not just less expensive. It's also more reliable. And Doug, I did not know this. Some airlines have offered it for free. Did you know that? JetBlue started in 2017. Yeah. Just two weeks ago, Hawaiian joined that list. They became the second U.S. airline to announce free Wi-Fi on board its flights. JetBlue began, uh, as you said, free Wi-Fi in 2017. The airline said it will partner with SpaceX's Starlink to begin offering free super high-speed Wi-Fi on its flight early next year. Southwest joined the party this week, saying it will be testing free Wi-Fi on certain flights over the next several days. Tony Roach, VP of Customer of Experience and Customer Relations, said, quote, This trial will allow customers to stream, browse, and engage on the internet at no cost, just like other complimentary services. Wow, is that the next frontier? We keep talking about meals. This might be more important, especially for business travelers. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, hotels in the last probably five years, most of them have gone to free Wi-Fi. If you want to be able to stream, you have to pay a little bit more. But just basic Wi-Fi, yes, places like uh, Residence Inn and Fairfield and Hampton, kind of the the lower cost family type economical hotels, if you can call it Mm -hmm. economical chains. They've had free Wi-Fi for a while. But you stay at a Marriott, a Hilton, a... Hyatt, a business type hotel until about five years ago, they would charge $15, $20 for a night. And the reason for that is because they knew that they had business travelers and it was probably Mm -hmm. a covered expense. But I've noticed recently, even those hotels, as long as you join the loyalty program, you get free Wi-Fi. And it's, I I don't want to say it's becoming a given that you're going to get free Wi-Fi when you go to places. But in Mm -hmm. 2010, that VP mentioned Starbucks. You go to Starbucks, you get a cup of coffee. And you get free Wi-Fi. You go to a hotel, you get free Wi-Fi. Sit at a yeah. car dealership getting your oil serviced, you get free Wi-Fi. It's it's yeah. not it's not there is no such thing as a free lunch in economics. Someone is paying for it. And you might pay a little bit extra for your oil change if if you're getting free Wi-Fi. But it's just that that comfort, that thought of having that connectivity. And now that Alaska has, well, now that Alaska has said that it's 20 times faster. And Hawaiian mm-hmm. is testing this Starlink, which they they claim you'll be able to stream Netflix, you'll be able to stream Amazon, HBO, wow. wh- whatever you want, and it's not going to impact the 250 other people on the airplane. That's incredible. Just thinking back yeah. to the first time I ever used Wi-Fi in an airplane, and it would kick you off every two minutes, and you would have to re-log in 20 times on a two-hour <laughs> flight, and it cost $30, you know, just... Thank you, thank you back to that and, and where we've come. Well, yeah, I'm glad to see that the customer experience, you know, we talk about spirit and frontier and where it's very bare bones and people don't expect anything other than a low price. I'm glad that there's the other side of the spectrum too. And I will tell you, we're spoiled. 
I'm spoiled by the free messaging. So our airline has free messaging, as does Delta. And, you know, Alaska, you get on board. Alaska does. Mm -hmm. Okay. You get on board and you turn it on. Boom. It works. It gives me confidence in that carrier that I'm on because now I can communicate. It's it's a big thing. Now, am I going to expect Wi-Fi? Because people travel on JetBlue, for example. Then they go to another airline that doesn't have Wi-Fi. Now, are they going to spend more money to fly JetBlue instead? If it's just a few dollars, just to know that there's that consistency that they'll be able to do all their work on board. I think they will. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. If if they know about it, that that's the big thing is the airlines have to get out on a marketing campaign saying we're offering this. And I've seen a lot of articles now about Hawaiian. This is going to be big going back and forth to the islands. If passengers who are flying across the Pacific for five, six hours know that an airline, that the tickets are about the same, has free Wi-Fi, that could be huge. Like yeah. that, that really could factor in all things being equal. We're, we're, we're talking ticket price relatively close, timing of the flights relatively close. That could be a big deal for people. Some of us have said, and I think I've even mentioned this, sometimes it's nice that you have no connectivity because you're separated from the world a little bit. You have some peace and quiet just to read a book or watch a movie in peace without getting messaged and getting emails and whatnot. But most of the world wants to still be connected. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say what I would say to that, and I've done this on several flights, is, you know, I'm not going to turn my Wi-Fi on on this flight. I I just want to sit back and watch a movie or read a book, and I don't want Mm -hmm. that constant bombardment. (laughs) But to know that Mm -hmm. it's there if I need it, that's, I I, I don't want to say it's a comfort blanket, but a safety blanket. But in a way, it it kind of is, if I need to be connected, I know I can. But I can also make the decision to say, you know, this flight, this five-hour transcon, I just want to mm-hmm. kick back and watch a movie and drink a glass of wine and not worry about the mm-hmm. world around me. Yeah, and if anyone asks and they needed to reach you, you can say the Wi-Fi was enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about this at the meeting, and we were talking about connectivity and how Wi-Fi works. This one person was on a transcon flight, and they had to go get on a Teams meeting for some work call, and they were thinking, oh, I can't get on because, you know, I might not be able to get on the Wi-Fi for teams for a zoom type call, but they were, they got on and they were on the call. And this is, this is like a, a real go getter. I won't tell mm-hmm. you his name. And he was really happy about that. And the rest of us were like, no, no, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that, that yeah. because you will never get any peace on a flight. Cause when you're on a transcon about, Oh yeah, just get on the team's call. Like right in the middle of your transcon mm-hmm. flight, you know, cause you're at work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit this part out so that no one finds out about it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think about how network connectivity is growing in the air, which is great to see. Drew, do you know whose network won't grow in the way they thought it would a few weeks ago? <laughs> this is a transition oh, to our a, first. Okay, this is a real contorted news story. <laughs> but I got it. Okay, can you pronounce that again, that word? Which word? Connect. Connectivity. Why is it connection and connect, but it's connectivity? Because <laughs> connectivity sounds weird i i don't know <laughs> i actually I, you always say that and I, that is correct so when i looked up the pronunciation it is connectivity mm-hmm. i don't know why but because uh, english is weird uh, <laughs> all of our not it also all of our non-native better. english speakers right now are rolling their eyes <laughs> saying yeah this is what we said as we were learning your language right this is no what we sense. deal with you know for years <laughs> yeah. All right. So speaking of connectivity, well, okay, so this is connectivity in terms of network 
and airline networks. The story is from the Wall Street Journal. Spirit Airlines rejects JetBlue bid. <laughs> we have so much to talk about on this. JetBlue bid sticks with the Frontier deal. This is like such a joke to us because we know it was never going to work <laughs> out. So it's a surprise. It's not, it's not going through. Spirit's board of directors diligently reviewed JetBlue's $3.6 billion cash offer before deciding this week that it carried an unacceptable level of closing risk. The airline opted instead to continue discussions with Frontier regarding the $2.9 billion cash and stock offer. Spirit's board cited too much risk that regulators would block a JetBlue merger, mainly due to its Northeast alliance with American. Spirit chairman Mac Gardner said, quote, After thorough review and expensive, extensive dialogue with JetBlue, the board determined that the JetBlue proposal involves an unacceptable level of closing risk that would be assumed by Spirit stockholders. JetBlue said it is actively considering all other options available to us, though it didn't clarify what that meant. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. The next step for JetBlue might be a hostile takeover attempt, though no indications point in that direction as of yet. The Spirit Frontier merger announced in February would create the fifth largest airline in the U.S. Wow, that's big. So that would put them right behind the big four, Delta, United, Southwest, and American, and join the two largest ultra-low-cost carriers in the market. Ultimately, Spirit's board concluded that a merger with Frontier would do an even better job of delivering ultra-low fares to more co consumers and competing more effectively against the big four carriers, as well as against JetBlue. So much, Doug. You want to start off? It is so much. And as you mentioned, this comes as no surprise to either of us, to our core group of friends, to our listeners. I'm, I'm sure not a lot of people, industry analysts, no one really is surprised by this. Even though the offer is $700 million less by Frontier, than what, what JetBlue was offering. Yeah. We talked about the logistics of it, that JetBlue is kind of that that middle market type airline. They're not ultra low cost. They're not cramming a bunch of seats in. They have some yeah. business class, that, but they're also not a, a legacy network carrier with international, but, well, I guess they're, they're flying to London now, but with a lounge network, with wide body airplanes, things like that. Yeah. JetBlue customers, and I know we talked about this in February, or I guess March, when JetBlue swooped in and tried to make this deal, JetBlue customers expect a certain level of product. Yeah. And if they step on a Spirit airplane, and until the conversion would be done, Which they're going to be like, millions what, and what, millions of dollars. What did I pay for? Whereas yeah. Frontier and Spirit, they have different interiors, but it's ultimately the same product. The Frontier Spirit merger, I think Spirit's board is looking at it saying, we, this is a better match for both of us than JetBlue and Spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I did read just before we started recording today that Spirit's CEO said that he thinks it was just a move to block the Frontier merger, the JetBlue's. And that that's we, we said. said that we said that as well. Yeah. That we thought that just like when Alaska and JetBlue were trying to get Virgin America, mm -hmm. that a lot of people thought, well, JetBlue just upped their the price for it trying to get alaska to overpay right which ultimately they did I, all the stars are starting to line up because one of our friends said well alaska doesn't want to merge with JetBlue," and i'm like why wouldn't they want to merge with JetBlue? they did the merger with virgin why wouldn't they want to do something similar yeah and i think it's just such a good match they have similar products just like you said they're you know they're well, that niche before before you get into the a possible Alaska JetBlue, because yeah. we'll talk about that here. I, the the next question that I was going to ask you is 
do you think this will kick off a new round of airline consolidation, like what we saw in the mid-2000s through the mid-2010s? Think back to 2000, when US Air and United were talking about merging. The following year, American TWA. And then after 9-11, there was a huge round of consolidation for the next 10 plus years. Yeah, I, I really think it is. And I think as far as the DOT... You know, this administration is probably more of a watchdog to make sure there's um, there's fair competition. But I think the problem we have now, not just competition, is we have a lack of airline staffing all over the place, especially pilots. So these airlines can say we cannot operate, you know, the same schedule with, you know, with two airlines. We can provide a better product to the U.S. consumer if we merge just from a resource standpoint. You know, not just a not just a business and competitive standpoint, just from an operational standpoint. I really think Spirit and Frontier will merge because I've I've seen no resistance from Frontier. Have you? No, it, it was it was a uh, cordial. They, they both decided together. It, it wasn't an unsolicited like JetBlue and Spirit. It was something they had worked for months in the background. So it's there yeah. is no resistance from Frontier. No. Ready to talk about JetBlue in Alaska? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. So just a quick summary for our listeners. We've been talking about this for two years. They have route networks that are very complementary. So you have the West Coast and a North-South connectivity, if you will, on the Alaska side and JetBlue on the East Coast with their main hub at Kennedy. Everyone wants to hu- wants a hub in Kennedy. And if it's an Alaska-JetBlue merger, boom, Alaska gets a New York hub. <laughs> yeah. Well, I Je- think it Je- would Je- be great. Some more products. JetBlue also has Boston. And they also have Fort Lauderdale to the Caribbean, which Alaska doesn't have. Alaska doesn't have, yeah. Now, Alaska hubs uh, or focus cities are Seattle, Anchorage, and LAX, right? Isn't that a hub for them? And Portland and San Francisco. And then Boise is a focus city. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. That would be a, a perfect match. Now, here's my question to you. Moving forward, should they pick the JetBlue name or should they pick the Alaska name or should they come up with something different? I think they should come up with something different. I, I do like the Alaska name, but people on the East Coast flying from Kennedy to Fort Lauderdale aren't going to want to be on. Well, not saying they won't want to be on, but from like a name recognition standpoint, Alaska doesn't really say anything. People even say that when you're flying from San Francisco to Boise on Alaska, how is that? How does that make any sense? Here, here okay. are my here are my thoughts on on the merger crew. And listeners know that you and I have talked about this, and we predicted that Alaska and JetBlue would end up together pre-COVID. It was like January of 2020 that we first started mm-hmm. talking yep. about this. I, I I really enjoy flying Alaska, and I've flown them a, a few too. times, several times with my family. Even I've flown them once with you, and that was it was perfect. Yeah, Poppy and I were going to Milwaukee for my grandma's funeral. 2019 so pre-covid and we were flying through seattle we were doing sacramento seattle milwaukee there was only one flight a day from seattle to milwaukee and our flight we had flight issues and i was worried about well if i if if there's only one flight a day to milwaukee on alaska and the flight cancels or something happens how am i going to get there you fly on an american you fly on a delta there are 15 different ways for you to get from sacramento or seattle to Milwaukee. You can go through any right. hub. Any hub. Right. Any hub. When when you only have a single or two flights a day, that makes it really difficult. Alaska and JetBlue joining forces would give more of a synergy to be able to connect through somewhere else. It may not be the nonstop anymore, but at least you yeah. have that connection. And here's what I would say, and, and this is 
throwing another next trip prediction out that Mm -hmm. I don't think you you were ready for. They don't have a hub or a focus city in the central part of the U.S. They only have the East Coast for JetBlue and Florida and the the West Coast for Alaska. Kansas City right now is building a brand new terminal. Kansas City, the airport code is MCI. Okay. Do Do you know what that stands for? Uh, I don't. Mid-Continent International, because oh, it, it is the closest airport to the geographical center of the United States. Okay. I could I could see a JetBlue Alaska tie-up with a possible focus city or even a small <laughs> hub in a place like Kansas City. And now all of a sudden you get that east-west connectivity, not just the, the transcons, which JetBlue is running right now to that's... get to the West Coast. Just no, Doug, that's... There. No, no, that's great. I, I'm just thinking real quick, just off the top of my head. I can't think of a better city. I mean, I'm thinking of Cleveland, but that's further east, east than you know, too far east, right? Even but, even Milwaukee, which doesn't Milwaukee. really have much of a hub, is too far east. St. Louis, yeah, is, Cincinnati used to, ha- you know, all, all these cities have the infrastructure because they used to have airline hubs. Yeah, St. Louis, perhaps. St. Louis, perhaps, but Southwest has has really grown since TWA and American merged and American moved out. They, they de-hub St. Louis. Southwest yeah. has really grown in St. Louis. There's gate space. They could, they could make it work. But there's, yeah. really, there's really not a lot of competition in Kansas City. Kansas City could be a perfect spot. And I don't know. You know, people are moving to these smaller cities. Kansas City might also be one of those cities where people are huge moving to. Huge growth right now. Kansas City has a okay, huge population go. growth. Yeah. Okay. Then it has all, you know, all the, it, hit, it clicks all the, clicks all the, checks all the dots. Or checks yeah. all the boxes. Yeah. Back to the name. So you were saying, oh, I don't want to be, you know, I'm flying from Fort Lauderdale to uh, New York. Wh- wh- why am I flying Alaska? You and I are flying Singapore Airlines from Manchester to Houston. That and is true. No one, Singapore Airlines, people are flying them from Kennedy to Frankfurt, from San Francisco to Hong Kong. Routings that have nothing to do with Singapore, but they're perfectly happy to fly Singapore Airlines and they choose Singapore Airlines because it has such a name recognition. And I think, Doug, I think if there's a merger, they're going to keep the Alaska name because people have a fondness for that airline. It has such a a legacy. It has a good reputation. And people love Alaska. Just the idea of Alaska. Everyone wants to go there at Mm -hmm. some point. It's like Singapore, this this magical place in the distance, you know, where, you know, I I'm not going there, but I want to fly Singapore Airlines just for that panache or that name, you know, and I I think Alaska could do that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of special. So I I think they'll keep the Alaska name, but Kansas city, that is pretty big. That that's, we need to like write that down. You you heard it here. We don't know here, Drew, we we don't need to write down anything. And and here's the reason why. Thank you to our listeners. We love you. Matthew Clint from live and let's fly the live and let's fly blog this week. Yeah, did a, a post about the merger falling through the Spirit JetBlue merger, and he said, "I think that Alaska and JetBlue would be perfect partners." And a couple of our listeners post, posted that and said, "Well, you know, Next Trip Network called or Next Trip oh, Podcast yeah, right. called this two years ago." <laughs> yeah. So our listeners will, will back <laughs> us up on the Kansas City thing. Yeah, Reggie did the whole duh. Yeah, Next Trip has been talking about this. For <laughs> yeah, so thank you. No, I would really thank you to our listeners. You you guys keep us honest on this yeah. Kansas City thing, right? And when we make a mistake or when we're wrong, they let us know too, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, right. And we we you know self disclosure, like when we're wrong, you send us an email to prove us wrong, and we share it with everyone. Yeah, but that's rare that we're wrong. It's so rare. It's very rare. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, Drew, what, what do you say we leave the U.S.? The remainder of our news stories are all from down under. I know that our Aussie listeners have probably been anxiously awaiting this episode to release, knowing for sure that we talk about this topic, especially since we received feedback from several listeners regarding a couple of these. Fun factor, I don't know if you realize this, this next story was also our first ever story that we covered way back on Boarding Pass it was 01 on episode one. in 2019 <laughs> BC, mm-hmm. which is 2019 before COVID, uh, another mm-hmm. term that Next Trip is coining now. <laughs> that, that This was our original discussion. This is from CNBC, although it's being reported everywhere. Qantas orders Airbus jets for world's longest nonstop flight. And thank you, CNBC, for saying nonstop, because I've seen a lot of people talk about direct flights. Direct. Yeah. 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 I think you. I could go and Google it right now, and two of the articles will say direct flights. Yeah. To, L- to luckily, Sydney. L- Leslie Josephs is the one who wrote this article, and she's a big av geek. Mm-hmm. She was at Dorkfest with you guys. She knows what she's talking about, so kudos to her. Anyways, here are the bullets about it. Australian flag carrier placed an order for 12 A350-1000s to be used on the longest commercial flights in the world from Sydney to London and from Sydney to New York. The concept, which is dubbed, quote, Project Sunrise, was also considering the 787-9. In fact, in, was it early 2020, late 2019? When we first started talking about it was when they actually ran 787 test runs from New York to Sydney and from Sydney to London. Yep. The flights, which, which will take nearly 20 hours, are expected to begin in late 2025. Qantas's order also included 40, 40 narrow-body Airbus airplanes, the largest aircraft order in Australian history. CEO Alan Joy said, The board's decision to approve what is the largest aircraft order in Australian aviation history is a clear vote of confidence in the future of the Qantas group. The planes are expected to be configured with first-class, business class, Mm. premium economy, and economy, with more than 40% of the cabin dedicated to premium seating. In addition to the 12 A350s, Qantas also ordered 20, this is big, Drew, 20 A321 XLRs, which they can probably use for regional flights to Singapore, even possibly flights to Tokyo, and 20 A220s, with an option for up to an additional 94 planes. This is a problem for Boeing, Doug. A350, that plane is available now. You can order it. I don't know how long the wait time is, but it's going to increase because if you order a 777-9, it's not even going to be certified or certificated till probably 2025 now. That's their big wide body that you can't get. The 787 is having delivery issues. So once those factories start moving again, it's still going to be a long time to get your order in and get your planes delivered. I think any airline that has orders in that has options in for A350s in the in the in the future move them up now mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're not going to be able to get anything else you're not going to be able to get a Boeing wide body for a while so even if the A350 is not the best option which it looks like it probably is it, it checks all the boxes I think you're going to see a lot of orders for A350s soon Mm -hmm. unless Boeing can get their act together yeah I let's talk about Qantas real quickly before we move on to Boeing because this has a lot more implications for Boeing I think than it does for Airbus yes this is a big win for Airbus I think ultimately this has a lot more ramifications for Boeing congrats to Qantas this is awesome and let's talk let's talk about Australia because I know we have a lot of Australian listeners and we've talked about this that they endured one of the hardest lockdowns around the world for almost two years. And now the economy is roaring back. One of our next stories talks about how domestic travel 
within Australia is back above 2019 levels and international traffic yeah. is expected to... It's just a replay of what happened Exactly. There. It's just a few months later and international travel yeah. is expected to bounce back. Congrats to Qantas. This is awesome. Congrats. To, and we hope to get to Australia soon for Australian listeners, but congrats to you guys yeah. for getting this awesome growth and, and seeing the recovery that the US and North America and even parts of Europe have experienced. I I, I know exactly how you guys are feeling right now seeing this because this mm-hmm. was us six months ago, 12 months ago. You know, it's almost like the, with the other economies. So the U.S. economy is strong, but we're to a point where the, the growth is overheating. We don't want a recession. But I think with Australia coming back up, Europe has been doing OK. There's this war in Ukraine. That's a huge problem. Right. Hopefully there's a resolution. But Asia will bounce back in a couple of years. And, you know, the whole world, you know, they will reach an equilibrium. But we just, we're just very happy for our Australian listeners because you're going through the excitement and the relief that we did about a year and a mm-hmm. half ago. Yeah. Drew, do you think that this, do you think that the Boeing issues, not necessarily the max, but these 787 delivery issues, do you think that that was a big factor on Qantas's mind with this? No, I don't, Doug, because didn't this decision to go with the A350-1000 happen on, uh, like a year ago? No, it was, it was December. I think that they internally first started talking about it. And at that point, the delays yeah. were already ongoing. So that that's what makes yeah. me wonder if maybe Boeing shot themselves in the foot with all these issues that they're having with both the Max, but but mainly the 7-8. And Qantas looked at it and said, if we we get an opportunity to get A350-1000. It's a great plane. It fits the need. Not to mention the other yeah. airplanes in the portfolio. We've talked about how the 321 is eating the 737 Max's lunch with orders. We yeah. we have talked very highly about the A220 on the entire existence mm-hmm. of this show. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, if you look at a, just a sheer <laughs> portfolio, on like uh, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, Airbus is eating Boeing's lunch at every level right now and the a350 i believe not i believe they are getting the a350 1000 ulr the 1000 had about the same range as the 787-9 to begin with the regular 1000 this is the ulr so this can easily do 20 hours or just over 20 hours from sydney to london which the 787-9 probably cannot the 787 flying from new york to uh well united flies from san francisco to singapore and that's reaching, you know, that that's that's almost to the edge of its range. Mm-hmm. New York to uh, Sydney would be a real stretch, yeah. and it might involve some payload restrictions. So there's goes your your whole profit if you can't take some cargo. With yeah, you. the Qantas did it for the test flight with forty people on board, no cargo. Yeah. I, you, you know, that Boeing was going to have to put an extra fuel tank in anyways, regardless for Qantas. They, they couldn't just do it with their current 787-9s, the off-the-shelf product. Now, yeah. I, I know we're going really long on time. We have a lot of other topics to cover. Last thing I want to ask is, what does this mean for Boeing? And we, yeah. we typed this before some literal late breaking news. This just, yeah, just an hour ago, right before yep. we came on. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It's an exclusive report that says that Boeing plans to move their headquarters to Arlington, Virginia, with a possible announcement as early as next week. Once this show airs, we might have a lot more information about this. Yeah, I was reading. And, you know, well, I, I was reading. Part of the reason they're doing this is to be closer to the FAA. I was to, just going to say that <laughs> to get in more of a 
better light, I guess, a mm-hmm. better relationship than yeah. the contentious last couple of years. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they moved to Chicago, possibly to be with one of their biggest customers, right? We don't know that, but it, it does kind of make sense. You know, there's a hub for two of their bigger biggest customers in Chicago. For them, you know, this move makes it obvious that their biggest relationship concern now is with the FAA. And they're going to move here and they'll be very closely working with the FAA. And I don't know, I, I you know, not even looking at the the proximity issues, I think the FAA might appreciate that. Maybe the FAA sees this as Boeing saying, hey, we're doing everything possible to work closer with you to fix our problems. Yeah. Plus, it's a fresh start for the or for the company. I, I think that that could be big, too. Like something needs to happen to Boeing to get their head out of their you know what. And maybe a move of the headquarters is just that spark that this company needs. They've got a new CEO move the headquarters, get a fresh start, rebuild the relationships with both the government and your your customers. Hopefully mm-hmm. this this is what Boeing needs to to really get a kick on things. Yeah, I haven't looked at Twitter or uh, the news to see what the reaction is, but my reaction is positive because it's moving into my city, into the DC <laughs> yeah. area. But traffic is a nightmare to begin with. <laughs> And Amazon is only halfway moved in to Northern Virginia, to Arlington near DC. And now Boeing is moving more people. It's going to be a nightmare. But we do have a metro system. So people take the metro. You know, <laughs> it needs more funds to keep it going. And it's, it is reliable. It's clean. And stay off the road because I got to get from here, from the DC area to, to Dulles. So the other side. You're, you're on the other side of. Yeah. So I have to yeah. pass by yeah. where Amazon and Boeing are. <laughs> All right. Okay. So more good news for our Australian listeners. So this is from the Daily Mail. Virgin Australia buys four new Boeing 737s as post-pandemic demand surges. Virgin Australia said it expects to hit pre-pandemic domestic capacity by mid-2022, part of the reason for the order. Virgin CEO Jane Herdlika. Herdlika. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Herlika said, we are on track to return to 100% of pre-COVID domestic capacity by June this year and expect to well exceed those levels by year's end. The four new aircraft are expected to enter service as early as next year and are in addition to several MAX planes already on order for the airline. Virgin, Australia's second largest airline, retired its wide-body fleet of 777-300s and A330s during the pandemic and instead plans to focus on domestic and regional operations as its core business model. So it looks like United will be feeding them their international traffic because mm-hmm. um, yeah, United signed to deal with them. Yeah. yeah. Side note, the article mentioned the 737 MAX as controversial and led and finished with a recap of all the MAX issues. Is this fear-mongering? I would say yes. <laughs> I, I would say so. Re- reading the article, half of the article was about the new order and half of it was about everything that happened with the max. And I, I feel like two years ago, yes, we could talk about that, but I have flown the max so many times now. I don't worry about it. I time, time to move on. You can mention the max was involved. I look in forward issues. to the max. You, yeah. You can mention that it was involved in issues and then move on. Don't spend half of your article talking about your second largest airline, getting these new airplanes and, and you spend half of your words that you can print talking about how bad of a history this airplane has. I, I really well, do. And, yeah. And, yeah. And if anything, you know, instead of uh, spreading um, 
instead of being sensational about it, because you hear Max and you want to talk about the crashes, talk about all the things that Boeing has done to make it safe. Yeah. You know, just spend like a paragraph on that. And then, you know, to calm people's fears is what you should be doing. Drew, that this is big, though. Normally, we wouldn't talk about an order for four airplanes. It, it would just kind of go by the wayside. Oh, cool. An airline ordered four airplanes. Mm-hmm. Why this is big, though, is, again, going back to Australia and how they were in a huge lockdown. But we didn't mm-hmm. even know that Virgin Australia was going to survive the pandemic. Right. So the, yeah, fact, that, the fact that now they're saying we are getting four airplanes and we need them now. They're, they're getting them as early as next year, these four additional airplanes. We need them and yeah. we need them now. That is big for Australia. It's big for Virgin Australia. It's big for for the world seeing that a country that was so locked down and its airlines were on their deathbed, essentially, yeah. now are saying, we have to get these airplanes. We have to get them fast. A quick tangent. So when this was all hitting the fan, I was in London coming back from, from uh, Sri Lanka. And I think it was um, it was March 2020, which is like the worst time ever. It was, you know, the economies were going down. And pl- one of the first airlines when I was in London and we spoke about this when I was there was Flybe. Yeah. Flybe stopped operations. And I'm hearing Flybe is back now. That's in the UK. So that's a tangent. But we should look into that because that was one of the first that stopped operations yeah february i think february of 2020 yeah Mm -hmm. all right let's let's say in australia this next article is from bloomberg it says delta teams up with tiny regional australian airline rex delta who lost its australian partner virgin australia to united last year says it has agreed to a partnership with rex short for regional express which was its previous name Rex is positioning itself as a rival to Qantas and says that its customers will have access to Delta's wide network via the Sydney to Los Angeles daily flight. Conversely, Delta customers can connect to more than 60 Rex routes in Australia once they reach Sydney. The new agreement also gives Rex customers access to an overseas network, lounges, and a soon-to-be-introduced loyalty program. Rex had previously served rural outback towns with turboprops, but has recently started flying more business-focused routes with its new 737s, such as Melbourne, Adelaide, and Melbourne, Sydney. The airline plans to expand from six 737s to as many as 30 in the coming months. The coming months, Drew, they're going to go from six and add 24 airplanes. Again, talking about Qantas, talking about Virgin Australia, now talking about Rex, the the growth is huge. And this is another partner for Delta, to replace Virgin Australia, we talk about all the the alliances and airline connections around the world. This is really big news. Now, Delta flies to uh, Sydney just from Los Angeles, just or from, from Los Angeles? Uh... That, yeah, one okay. one daily flight because mm-hmm. they they, okay. they Delta had been using Virgin Australia code share. I, I, it was a joint venture mm-hmm. actually from San Francisco and LA to Brisbane to Melbourne, I think to Perth to Sydney. Yeah. And with the the loss of Virgin Australia's wide bodies and then the the loss of the partnership, Delta didn't have any Australian partner. And Australia yeah. is a very big aviation market. Yeah. I, once the economy start improving, I could see Delta possibly launching a Seattle, Sydney, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even with just one, that's 300 people. And, you know, in Washington, half the people connect. I'm not sure about Sydney, but even if a quarter of those people connect, that's a lot of customers for a regional airline with six planes right now. Let's uh, get to another topic. Doug, our main topic this week was related to something that has largely flown under the radar, despite the fact that it is extremely important for those actually operating radars. 
We know about the terms heavy and super in aviation, but that is changing once again, thanks to something you saw this week in a pilot bulletin. Just a quick explanation for our listeners. When we say heavy, we're talking about a wide body airplane. When we say super, we're talking about the A380. And I didn't know this, the Antonov 225, which sadly no longer exists. That was the other super. It was just those two. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Until I saw, saw this information. Yep. All right, so here's a short history lesson. Before the early 2010s, any aircraft with a poss- with possibly a gross weight above 255,000 pounds, regardless of its actual gross weight at the time of a particular flight, was considered a quote-unquote heavy. This meant a 757 was actually a heavy aircraft. Sometime around 2010, the heavy designation was bumped up to 300,000 pounds, thus relegating the 757 back to just a normal airplane a la a 737 or a 320. In 2013, after a major incident off the coast of Oman where a small business jet flew through the wake turbulence of an A380 and barely made it to the ground without a loss of life, the term super was added to the vernacular, only to be used by the A380 and, as you mentioned, the single AN-225 in operation. 757 continued to operate in a strange gray area where it wasn't a heavy, but it still produced more wake turbulence than its smaller counterparts. Until now, that is. Beginning on May 3rd, there are now nine wake turbulence categories of aircraft, up from six that previously existed. Those were small, small plus, large, Boeing 757, had its own group, heavy, and super. The nine new categories are called lower small, upper small, lower large, upper large, Boeing 757, still in its own category, non-pairwise heavy, Lower heavy, upper heavy. Stop! Can I stop you right there? Yes. What What is a what is non pairwise heavy? It's not a lower heavy, and means. it's not an upper heavy. That's that's what it means. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, let, let, let's get into this. Did you make this? Okay, this looks like a spreadsheet that you would it, make it, at home in like ten it minutes. It does. It looks like an Excel spreadsheet because <laughs> you were bored. One and Drew, I, I sent you this matrix. It was actually released by the FAA. It, it looks like it's an yeah. Excel spreadsheet. It was what was on the official FAA thing that they released this week. It has yeah. a list of all the aircraft that fall into what category. Let's start with that mm-hmm. for a discussion. There's some surprises in here some easter yeah. eggs i would say that we found yeah this is crazy so just starting on the lower scale so there's the lower small which it looks like you know some cessnas i think and then the regional care the regional airplanes start up start as at the upper small category so the crj 200 and the embraer 170 which i think are so different they're both in the upper small category can you believe that no the 170 is in the lower large are you sure about that? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Upper small. No, no. Okay. L- I'm sorry. Lower large. The CRJ 200 and the Embraer 170 are both in the lower large. Mm-hmm. So regional airplanes start at the lower large in terms yeah. of aircraft. Well, and, and here's something interesting. The Dash 8 Delta, which I'm wondering if that's the Q400. I, I need mm-hmm. the DH8 Delta, which is the IKO okay. term yep. for it. I'm, I'm wondering if that's the the Q400. It's in the upper large, which is the same category as the A319, A320, A321, 737, 900. So you're saying a Q400, a Dash 8, 400 is in the same category as an A321. Yeah, that's crazy. Or a 737, 900. Okay. And a C130. A C130 is upper large. I, I would think that's a huge, huge plane. Where it really right, gets move on. well, where where it huh? really gets interesting, jumping beyond the seven fifty seven, is this non pairwise heavy category. 
Yeah, I don't understand that. The A330 900, which is the mm-hmm. A330 Neo, the AN124, mm-hmm. which is a C5 knockoff, they're all yeah. non-pairwise heavy, whereas mm-hmm. the C5 is an upper heavy. And then get this, I, I don't know if you caught this, the 787-10 is a non-pairwise heavy. So they're saying that it is actually less than a normal 787 than a Dash 8 or a Dash 9. You know, it, it must have something to do with the wake turbulence, That's maybe, it. that these planes create. Is that, that is it? exactly it. it. This has nothing to do with weight. This mm. has everything to do oh, so it's with... more scientific. Yep. This has everything to do with wake turbulence categories and minimums. The, the minimum space that air traffic control needs between landing and taking off when you have mm-hmm. someone who is not of like category. For instance, if an A330-300 which is in category B, the upper heavy category, takes off behind another A340-300 or anyone in that category, you don't need any sort of wake turbulence minimum time to to be able to take off. It's just whatever they need for ATC vectors or whatever. Whereas if you have, let's say, an upper large, you have an A319 take off behind a 747-400, you need... I, I think it's three minutes. I, I would have to look because I think the times changed a little bit with okay. this this new update. And that's the whole reason of this matrix is so that air traffic control knows the times that they need between landing and taking off. Okay. You know, uh, this is a lot of information. So Doug, what we'll do is we'll post this on the website. We'll put it on Twitter so that when you're listening to this episode, you might want to pause <laughs> If you're driving, go to the, you know, go to the side of the road, please. And look at this spreadsheet with us because it is crazy. <laughs> Maybe. So the A330-200, they're, they're calling an upper heavy just behind the super. And I'm wondering if it's because it's a shorter, fat no, plane. The A330-200 a is a non-pairwise heavy. They're in category Delta. The A330-300 no. the A340 is the upper heavy. So what is this A332? That's not an A33200? A332 is Oh, oh, sorry. You're right. Yeah, I don't the get a, it. No, this I I misread that. The A33200 is upper heavy, but the A yeah. but the A34200, which is basically the same airplane with two with two extra engines, is a non-pairwise heavy. Okay, I think what you found is something that uh, an intern at the FAA was working on, <laughs> and you somehow found it on some as, dark as draft, Geek website. Yeah, it, it was on the dark web, <laughs> the Avgeek dark web, as some draft. Oh my good. Okay, so no, we 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 definitely need to have a follow up on this because I don't understand this. Maybe someone who's listening, who works for the FAA, can explain to us how an A three thirty two hundred is just behind a Super, and a 747-8 is not even lower heavy. It's two places behind the A330-200. Wake turbulence. Oh, I, okay. All right. So, okay. No, all right. <laughs> A330-200. Let's just, no, no, no. So I'm going to stop you right there. A3, if we're talking about wake turbulence, the A330-300 and the A330-900, the NEO, they have the exact same fuselage. The wing on the A330-900 is a little bit wider with a winglet. So you're telling me that is two spots behind the A330-300? Apparently. 
All right, we gotta look into this. We gotta do an investigation. Greg, you're our resident. We, we need this is something we can. We need, yeah, we we need engineers on this. <laughs> we need Greg to go through this spreadsheet, make the the required changes, send it back to this intern <laughs> before this intern gets fired. <laughs> Drew, this isn't just the FAA. The FAA did this to match uh-huh. IKO. This is actually a globally accepted list of airplanes and wake turbulence categories. Okay. I, I yeah, know, so I know you don't believe that. <laughs> I knew that this would be a great discussion. Well, yeah, and there's something, um, the MD-11, where did I see that? That was low on the list. And first of all, you know, they can take the L-1011 off. Who is flying the L-1011? Maybe the Royal Air Force? No, I don't no, even think they No, they just they retired. MD-11 yeah. is a lower heavy. A yeah, lower that's heavy. That's in C, category C, lower heavy. Okay, so um, according to this, the A300-600 has more of a wake turbulence than the 747-8. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where to go with this, but it just doesn't seem... Don't at like me, Drew. Don't, don't at me. I didn't make this list. <laughs> I'm going to at you. Okay. Um, we have to move on, even though there's so many... <laughs> there's so many um, eyes that are not dotted or t's crossed after that now i feel uneasy <laughs> so thanks for you that need to go take a shower after this yeah <laughs> you just feel you know dirty. usually you can make a lot of sense out of this this stuff but neither of us could make any sense all right let's move on to something that's that makes sense and that's our listeners comments make a lot of sense doug last week's episode focused on your new ride the triple seven we received a great comment from a listener who might actually have a better job on the triple than you do. I would agree. This is from Kyle in Seattle. He wrote, congrats, Doug. Welcome to the triple. I absolutely agree with what you said about the triple seven landing gear being the biggest break. I do flight tests for the seven triple seven dash nine. And I've been on a few flights where the pilot will slow down and drop the gear at 35,000 feet. So we can quickly descend to 10,000 feet or lower. Using the gear as a brake lets us descend super fast without picking up any speed. Sometimes we have lots of test points at different altitudes, and we need to stay above a certain gross weight so that we can save time and gas across repeated descents by doing this. As you'd imagine, though it is pretty loud and the plane shakes a lot from all the dirty air caused by the landing gear, so it wouldn't be great to do with passengers on board. Kyle. Kyle, thanks. Yeah, th- <laughs> thanks for that. That that really is incredible. And yeah, I agree. That's that's why we try and minimize dropping the gear as much as we can. But if we're high and, and fast, high and hot, we call it. As we said last week, the airplane doesn't want to slow down and go down. Sometimes gear is yeah. our, our last option or our, our best option. I just want to point out, he put a winky f- emoji after he said the word <laughs> yeah. gas instead of fuel. Right. I, he did that on purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah th- okay. Thank you. Thank Good. you, Kyle. No, th- this is oh, awesome. Th- this is great. It's awesome. And Kyle is also podcast gold. So Kyle, we have to, ha- we have, to have him on. If you want to come on and, and talk about whatever you can, I, I know that you work for for a company that won't allow you to probably divulge a lot of information. But if we can just do a surface level discussion, you are more than welcome to come on. Let us know. This would be awesome. Yeah, exactly. And Kyle is also uh, starting to get his private pilot's license. So he could talk about that. We could, you know, we could uh, commiserate or we could share some, uh, some experiences on our first flights. Yeah. And unfortunately he's flying an airplane that the gear doesn't retract. Mm -hmm. So he won't be able to get the gear down to be able to descend faster. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man. Well, we, we went a little bit long, but hopefully this was a very good discussion and we, we tried to mix it up around the world, especially for our Australian listeners. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate you. And speaking of that, a lot of these articles that we got through yeah. were from the listeners. If you guys, we, we try and do our best to find articles that mix things up around the world, different parts of the industry. Yeah. But if you guys have an article that you've read that you want to hear our thoughts and opinions on, please send it to us. Even if it's a week or two or a month old, we'll add it to our lineup because that way we'll we'll talk about what the listeners want, which is really what we're here for. Yeah, that's our goal. Speaking of the listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at nexttrippodcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Yep. And speaking of uh, Twitter and Instagram and our website, I am going to post that uh, that spreadsheet that Doug sent and see if you guys can make any sense of it because we can. I mean, we'll do more research and we'll we'll do a, um, a go around on that next week. All right. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 